big topics in data architecture call for big conversations. Big Ideas in App Architecture, the new podcast from Cockroach Labs, invites innovators to discuss their experiences building reliable, scalable, maintainable systems. Visit cockroachlabs.com slash stackoverflow to listen and subscribe. Make sure to use that link and let them know the podcast sent you. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Stack Overflow podcast, a place to talk all things software and technology. I'm your host, Ben Popper, joined as I often am by my colleague, Ryan Donovan. How's it going, Ryan? Oh, it's going pretty well. So I know Postgres is a popular database language of choice. We've had it in our developer survey for a number of years and seen it you know, grow. I know we've had a couple articles about it on the blog or articles that mention it within the context of other stuff. Mm-hmm. So today, we are lucky to have Lucas Fiddle on to the show. He's a serial entrepreneur and at the moment, the founder and CEO of PG Analyze, which is very focused in this area. Lucas, welcome to the program. Perfect. Thank you for having me. Excited to be here. Yeah, for folks who aren't familiar with your backstory, um, tell us a little bit about how you got into the world of software and technology. For sure. So to be clear, even though, you know, nowadays my title is founder and CEO, um, I'm an engineer by trade. I got started actually way back with having an interest in game programming, um, although that never turned out to be an actual thing. Mm-hmm. But that really got me to programming back then with C++ when I was like 12 or something. And then really, you know, for me, where things kickstarted is when I left school when I was 16. So I kind of, you know, was at a technical school, but I just felt that the pace wasn't the right choice for me, at least. And this was back in Austria. And so Austria, you know, there are some good schools, but they're sometimes hard to reach if you're kind of early um, in your own life, so to say. Mm. Um, and so I kind of got started with ultimately working in a data center for a hosting company, um, you know, actually putting actual real servers into racks. Mm. Um, not something you do much these days anymore. Right. Somebody does. Lift and shift, as they say. Different kind of lift and shift. <laughs> somebody does. That's yeah. true. Yeah. I saw this article today where somebody was like, oh, you know, an AWS data center is still like 100 people doing work. And then people were like, it's only 100 people, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, data centers are these huge buildings, but there's not actually a lot of people, mostly servers. But so that was interesting, you know, kind of to see the, you know, how everything is made, so to say, early in my own career. One of the next things I did after that was uh, actually work on a startup that was doing kind of multimedia blogging of sorts. Mm-hmm. Um, so similar to Tumblr or Twitter slash X. And so one of the things that we already had back then was uh, Postgres as a database. And so really, um, you know, where my career led me eventually was a lot of focus on Postgres. But back then, it was really as an application engineer working with this database and scaling this, you know, blogging site of sorts, where we just, you know, had that central database that was so important. And we had, you know, kind of to spend so much time and energy and money on it, um, making sure it performs well, because if it didn't, everything was slow, everything was bad. After, you know, kind of working on that um, startup, I eventually got moved to the U.S. through um, a company called Product Hunt, um, where I was part of the founding team. Product Hunt is still around today, so if you're launching a new product, it's a good place to do that. Also use Postgres as a database behind the scenes, mm-hmm. of course. And then I kind of shifted gears and got more into, I would say, you know, the actual kind of interesting parts were actually doing more of Postgres. Um, and so I was working with the team at Citus Data, which is essentially a way to scale Postgres onto more than a single server. Mm-hmm. And so that was really, I would say, you know, my personal way of actually, you know, running databases for other people also. So we essentially had a managed database as a service product where we, you know, kind of operated databases so that, you know, you could trust that if you are a really big business and you have a lot of database kind of needs that you can rely on Postgres even as you scale. And Citus Data um, is still around today as part of Microsoft. So it got acquired Microsoft a couple of years ago. And I think it has really proven itself as one of the best ways to scale out Postgres um, these days. 
either on Azure, which of course Microsoft would um, like to see to do, but also in open source by just running your own virtual machine. Mm. And then to finish the story arc, <laughs> so okay. to say, after kind of you know being at Microsoft for a few years, I left there a couple of years ago and now am full-time on PG Analyze together with a small team where we essentially build a tool to optimize Postgres databases, identify slow queries, find the right set of indexes to create, a lot more things we could dive into. Very cool. So Postgres is, you know, obviously it's it's number one on our database survey, but it's still using SQL, which is, I don't know how old SQL is, 50 years, 40, 50 years or something. What are the things that you have to optimize around to get it to be a modern functioning database and query language? That's a good question. So I think SQL it was in fashion and then it went out of fashion and now it's in fashion again. <laughs> so one way that I like to think about is SQL is just your way of telling the database what to do, right? So essentially the the optimization here really is what are you telling the database and what are the opportunities the database has to make choices essentially. And sometimes, you know, I think we're a lot of the problems that application engineers run into is that they don't actually write SQL, right? They write ORM function calls. And so the awareness that your ORM translate whatever you're writing in your you know, application code gets translated into SQL automatically behind the scenes. And the database gets a very specific set of instructions, which may not give enough room to really make sensible choices. And so one of the things that I would say about SQL is it's important to understand if you're using a relational database uh, today, you are ultimately somewhere writing SQL, even if you're not actually writing it. And so understanding that I think is very important. And then I think, you know, it, it ultimately comes down to sometimes the SQL is a problem, sometimes the database's choices are a problem, right? But then really it comes down to query plans ultimately, right? So each SQL statement you send to a database gets turned into a query plan. And so when you think about writing efficient SQL or writing high-performing SQL, really comes down to which query plans is the database choosing and why. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So... I know in our introduction, you know, we were talking about some of the companies that PG Analyze supports, Atlassian, DoorDash, big names that are operating at big scale. You know, the job of your company is to help them identify areas where improvements can be made for speed and stability. What are some of the things that you look to first or you think would be interesting to developers listening that can enhance, you know, performance or insights or availability at scale? So there's two answers to this, right? I think there is the what's the problem a company like Atlassian or DoorDash has, right? Which is ultimately mm-hmm. that's a scaling problem. It's like scaling people problem, mm-hmm. ultimately, right? Like you only have so many experts to throw at a problem. It's, it's just there's too many engineers and not enough Postgres expertise, for example. But very specifically on, you know, how to approach these type of problems, I think it's, it really comes down to like having a good methodology of how you're assessing these issues, right? And then... Mm-hmm. You know, like there's, for example, there's, you know, these these diagrams or these kind of stories around people and not even understanding basic latency, right? So like the difference between a RAM access being like really, really fast and the disk access being significantly slower and, you know, over network gets even worse, right? And so I think maybe before we even dive into database performance optimization, we need to spend, you know, a moment to, to remember that ultimately what you're doing is a function call of sorts mm-hmm. over the network, right? Where you're instructing, again, that system to do something for you. And so I think a lot of times, you know, the unfortunate truth is that in a lot of companies, that skill set is not very well known or shared or trained, right? For people to really think in a good structured way about, is this API call slow? Maybe is the code itself slow, right? Like, should I profile the code? Mm-hmm. Like, I think all of that is kind of where I would start at. And then we really, you know, get into the the details of, you know, 
Now you know that, you know, maybe you have a trace, for example, right, in your like APM tool, mm -hmm. and you know that the trace shows that this SQL query is slow, and you know your database sits on the same network, so, you know, one millisecond round trip time is expected, but, you know, it shouldn't take that long. And so then you know, well, if it's saying 150 milliseconds query runtime, right, subtract network latency, that's still way too slow. Mm -hmm. And so then really we're getting to a database side of this. And so there the approach, you know, generally would be, I know this query is slow. Let me run what Postgres calls an explain plan. Um, so you put explain or explain analyze in front of a query, and then it would give you the breakdown of which part of the query execution is slow. For example, it might be you have a sequential scan on a particular table or an index scan on another table. And sometimes these can be slow because they're being called a lot because you're doing a nested loop join, things like that. And then it becomes very specific. But that's really, I think, where most of the optimization work comes in. Mm, nice. So you first start with sort of an audit, given your expertise, and then get into more of a technical examination and perhaps some tweaks there. Right. And I think, you know, like, for example, I, of course, would love to see everybody use our own product, but the truth is you've got to choose which product to look at, right? So for example, if your application code is slow, you can look at PGAnalyze as much as you want. You're not going to see a slow query there, right? So I think it's it's really important to understand the again, which part of it is actually slow. And if it is the database, then, you know, we can get into questions like, is it the career plan? Maybe sometimes it's actually not the career plan. Maybe your database is just overwhelmed, right? And so we have a dashboard where you can just see overall what's going on, right? Like which queries are running, which activities on the system, mm -hmm. stuff like that. Can some of the slowness come from their individual database design itself, like the schema? And because relational databases are all connected. You can have many, many tables. For sure. I mean, I think a lot of people forget to do certain things, right? So forget to add right indexes, for example, mm -hmm. it's very common. But I also think that, you know, oftentimes people think that it's the settings, for example, right? So I, th I think one pattern I see a lot of people think my database configuration is, is not efficient, right? Like maybe I forgot to change this parameter or the setting. Mm -hmm. And whilst that is true often, I think people overly think that. Um, so in the sense that, you know, really the problem is most often you're asking database to do something which is very I.O. intensive. And so even if you're tweaking the cache setting, for example, the fact that you're doing something I.O. intensive is a problem, right? So the fact that you're asking it to look at a thousand rows or a million rows, like that is the issue and not necessarily particular settings. And so mm -hmm. I would say in general, understanding that fundamentally the database uses a bunch of files, well, in the case of Postgres for at least, right? Like each table is a file or multiple files. And in that file, you have certain kind of substructures called pages in Postgres. And so Postgres will fetch one or more pages to get your answers for you. And if you're fetching a lot of these pages, you're doing ultimately a lot of file I.O., right? You're ultimately reading a lot of files. And in the case of a cloud provider like Amazon RDS, you're actually transferring that data over the network as well. And so all of that, you know, stuff happens behind the scenes. And so there, you know, what comes in then, for example, is um, talking about the database design and how you're structuring a database very narrow tables will fit more data into those pages. So if you have, you know, a table that has five columns that are all integer columns, that's going to be much faster to load if you load a lot of them versus if you have, you know, very wide tables where there's a lot of columns that are text, for example. Um, and so really when you're designing your schema, it is helpful to think about the query pattern and how much, how much of your data you're querying or have to query all the time. And so let's say you went in and, you know, did some of this work with a client it sounds like a lot of what you're talking about right now is, is latency. You know, if the work went well and you were able to help them to rewrite some of their schemas or, you know, to change the way uh, that things move around the network, what benefits besides, you know, speed would they see? 
can you quantify that in terms of like cost savings or you know just sort of the ability to then scale the app with your customer growth yeah it's interesting how to change over time also so i think you know a couple of years ago um when we were in the tech boom so to say the good old days <laughs> good old days yes money was free flowing people were you know worried about not being ready for a huge scale event that was coming right and that still right. exists but i do feel that nowadays you know people are more worried about their database is expensive right like mm-hmm. a lot of times mm-hmm. people pay Ten thousands of dollars for even a single database, <laughs> and some of these big companies have hundreds of databases, right? So, like, I mean, their bills, I'm sure, must be in the millions or higher. And so, really, it does often come down to cost savings because you know you're looking at this really big like expense in your like cloud bill, and it's kind of a magic box. Like, you don't know, right? Like, you know, CPU utilization is that high, but you don't really know why it is that high. And so, I think ultimately, oftentimes, optimization is driven by why are we spending so much on this database, right? And it's slow to add, right? Right. I like that because when I started as a technology reporter in 2010 and all the way up through, you know, let's say 2022, we were in this ZERP economy. And, you know, it didn't matter if you were profitable or not, you could still go public. And yeah, everybody wanted to see enormous user growth and being profitable wasn't really, didn't have to be part of the equation. Now as a pendulum is swinging in the other direction, show me your cash flow positive so you can get your next you know, round of venture capital. Mm-hmm. It makes a ton of sense to want you know, every server bill to be as small as possible and to ensure you're getting the most out of those machines. Right. I'm curious, uh, you know, I, I hear of uh, a lot of companies, especially for production data, just using a simple key value database. Is there a downside to that? Or are the the Postgres databases you're trying to optimize, are they somewhere else in the pipeline? That's a good question. You know, there's many ways to look at this problem, like with Citus, for example, um, if I think back, right, like Citus data, we mostly worked with system of record databases, right? Mm-hmm. So the Postgres databases that these people were trying to scale were their main data store that they were trying to scale. I think if you start your project with a key value store and you're willing to restrict yourself to that, you know, then it's probably the easier to scale, mm-hmm. right? Because it's simpler in a sense. Mm-hmm. What I would say, if I was in that position, I would be wary of choosing cloud vendors and locking myself into particular behaviors that cloud vendors have, right? Mm-hmm. But so I think, generally speaking, the way I would think about that is if you're trying to scale Postgres, you're ultimately already on Postgres, right? Or you're on a relational database. And so the benefits you get often is that if you have like dependencies between your data and you're trying to kind of join one thing against another thing, if you're using a key value store, you do a lot of that on your application side. Mm -hmm. And so that's where it becomes really inefficient and really like slow, for example, right? right? Because you're ultimately pulling a lot of data back into the application to then do these operations that otherwise the database can do for you. Right. Yeah, it's, it's a lot of nested API calls. Right, exactly. Yeah. And a lot of data transfer. Right. I did a piece a while back for the blog talking about what was sort of like a trendy thing to do at the time to go on Twitter and say, we decided to get off the cloud and you know we're building everything locally now and look at the millions of dollars we've saved. To what degree do you think you know, there is some merit to that, you know, that people might invest uh, a little bit more as they once did in you know, their own hardware and continue to work with the cloud in a hybrid model, obviously, but not need to rely on it for everything? I think there's a lot of merit in that, right? I think especially to the point that keeping the flexibility to be able to do so, right? I think for a lot of people, it's not the right choice, right? So, I mean, like, we're on AWS ourselves. And if you ask me, you know, should we run our own data center? No, this is a waste of time, like a waste of money. We don't have an ops team that can do that. Mm -hmm. But if you are a large company, is it better to go all in on a cloud vendor? Or should you rely on the core standard in the case of Postgres, right? 
the core Postgres features that you can use in other cloud providers or your own on-prem data center. And I'm personally a strong believer in the latter, right? I think it's, it's a lot better to keep that flexibility, even if you do utilize cloud providers, to not lock yourself into those value-added services to the point where you could no longer move or could no longer change to virtual machines. Like oftentimes right. the markup that cloud providers add is quite high on the managed services. And so being able to utilize virtual machines can be very beneficial as well. Yeah, mm. it's interesting. I heard you say that that a few times, you know, that data transfer was one of the expensive things. And that was what came up with the on-prem piece was just that there are certain things you might be doing internally. I don't know if that's training a model or updating, you know, things internally for some kind of optimization. And, you know, it's the transfer that really gets you. Mm. So doing that stuff on-prem and other things in the cloud can be a big right. advantage. Yeah, and I mean, I would also say one example could be like if you have your development team and people want to be able to develop locally with a full copy of the database, right? Mm. Like full copy as in a, a fully functioning copy of the database, mm. right? So they want to be able to just run a Docker container with Postgres in it. Like that's one of the big benefits of Postgres. It just runs locally easily. Mm-hmm. You don't require a test account for your developers necessarily. Mm. A lot of what I'm hearing from you today is is like database indexes are are very important to good performance, right? Can you give a few tips on like how does somebody start out right with a Postgres database? You mean in the context of indexes specifically or just in general? In the context of indexes, yeah. So overall, think of indexes as a ultimately a function of your workload, right? So whichever queries you're running against the database should in, probably in some case have an index. Now, the fallacy there is if you just create an index for every single query, you'll end up with a lot of indexes. Now, the reason that that is a bad idea is because each index needs to be updated on writes. And so each time you're issuing a write to a database, each index has to be updated. And so if you had 100 indexes on your table, that's very slow, right? Most of the time. And so the most basic way of thinking about this is what are the things that you're mostly querying for together, right? So like, let's say you have a customer ID. A lot of times you're going to query for a customer ID. So it makes a lot of sense to have a customer ID index. Where it gets more challenging, I think, in Postgres, for example, right, you can store geospatial data with PostGIS. And there, with indexing, what you have to kind of understand is the different index types. I'm sure we won't have enough time today to really dive into that. But um, the gist of it is, right, is again, it's looking at what you're querying for. Let's say you're doing some search, like, give me all the restaurants in Manhattan and you have that stored in your data with PostGIS somehow, right? Then you will probably want an index to support that query. And so thinking of the right indexes for your queries and then which potential index types like just gen indexes and such can support those queries. I think that's really the most important way to look at it. Um, and then do tests, right? Like actually benchmark it, actually do an explain plan, see if your index gets used. That's really how I would approach it. Hmm. I mean, it almost sounds, sounds like you're designing a, a key value store overlay on it. I mean, you're designing a cache of sorts, right? Like indexes are ultimately Mm -hmm. caching data structures and you're just choosing like which cache to create of sorts. (laughs) Nice. You know, I I think I would want to talk about the thing that everybody else is is talking about, the AI-assisted database. (laughs) It's interesting you talk about optimizing and, you know, there's already the sort of abstraction layer above writing a bunch of joins where you have the ORM, right? What's the next level of optimization that you can get from from AI? Potentially a lot, potentially not very much, right? Like I think <laughs> <laughs> as with AI, you know, if you if you ask ChatGPT to create your indexes for you, I'm sure you'll get an answer, but is yeah. it the right answer? I'm not sure. Right, right. <laughs> Overall, I would say my hope is that the tedious part of the job mm. gets automated, right? Mm. But there's still a human element to it, right. right? So if you ask me, is the database performance engineer, the data engineer, is that role gone in 10 years? I don't think so. But hopefully it's less of a... I'm running and explain on individual queries and then I'm manually adding indexes or testing different indexes. 
So I think to me, it's really a question of how can we get that tedious portion automated and how can we give you a better way to get overview, right? So a lot of the challenges I see is people have thousands of queries on their systems that are subtly different mm -hmm. and they need to understand which index to create. My own philosophy and what we do at PG Analyze, really a lot of what we do today with this is around indexes and around index selection. Um, so index selection and database space, it's kind of its own sub-problem. But really when we, you know, think, I would say not of AI, but maybe of smart, right? Like how do we make the database smart mm -hmm. so that, you know, I don't have to do all this unnecessary work. And so then what we've designed uh, in PG Analyze is essentially a model, like a system that lets you automatically choose indexes based on certain criteria you define. But really important aspect, it, it's still transparent. So you can still go in and understand what's going on um, because it's ultimately a deterministic system. So I'm very skeptical, I would say, again, thinking of LLMs, I feel LLMs are the extreme of I don't understand why this response is for <laughs> human. Like, it's a great human response, but I don't understand it, right? right? And I think that's not good for database optimization. Like, you need a, a much more transparent system than that. Right. You need an audit trail there for the AI. Another thing that's come up over and over for Ryan and I recently is that companies are needing to figure out how to add vector databases because that's, you know, what LLMs work with. How does that fit against sort of, you know, what PG Analyst has been doing and how would that sit side by side with, you know, a Postgres database? Yeah, and I'll, I'll touch on the Postgres side actually first, because one thing we touched upon earlier was database choice, right? And I want to do a quick tangent there, because I think one thing that why I personally choose Postgres and will presumably for the rest of my career keep using Postgres is because it's a community project that has had longevity over a long time, right? So Postgres mm. this year turned 27 years old, and it has been able to essentially keep growing and evolving into whatever the situation needed, right? So roughly 10 years ago, MongoDB and JSON like document stores were all the rage. Mm -hmm. And so Postgres added JSONB as a data type specifically to index JSON fields. Now, what's fascinating there is that with you know, vector databases with Postgres, uh, with Andrew Kane, who's you know, just one of many people working on Postgres later projects, but Andrew Kane created PG Vector, I think, two years ago. Mm -hmm. And so he had the foresight to actually start really early on you know, realizing that vector embeddings Type work would be necessary. And he essentially created this extension that last year we saw, you know, essentially each major cloud provider integrate PG Vector into their managed offerings because they're all like, oh, mm. people want to use AI and they want to use, you know, embeddings. And so they just wanted to, you know, have a story around that. And I think to me, what it really speaks to is that power of Postgres being its extensibility and being its community, because it's not a corporation that said, we need to be AI, right? Like it's a, somebody in the community who said, I'm going to create this extension because I personally you know, have a need for this, I want to do this. And then people adopted it. And so I think that's, you know, just, just overall, I think a great story again of how Postgres has this adaptability, this flexibility. Yeah, that's a great answer. And I think it really ties back into probably why we see it so much on Stack Overflow, which is that it's community created, mm -hmm. you know, and people have to come together to share knowledge and figure things out if they're going to be building new features that help to future-proof it. Right, right. exactly. All right, everybody, it is that time of the show. We want to shout out someone on Stack Overflow who came and shared a little knowledge. I've run out of lifeboats, but I found a Postgres question. Quite amusing. Permission denied in Postgres. I missed a bit early on with my permissions. Then uh, you can see here some of the things that are going wrong. This question is really hard. I made a mistake with permissions for a folder and the whole system is broke. It's really easier to delete the server and start a new project. That answer was accepted. So, you know. Sometimes <laughs> best to turn it off and turn it back on again. Put it in the show notes. Nuke the side from orbit. Exactly. <laughs> All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. I am Ben Popper, the director of content here at Stack Overflow. You can always find me on Twitter at Ben Popper. Email us with questions or suggestions for the show, podcast at Stack Overflow. And if you liked 
the show. If you enjoyed it, please leave us a rating and a review because it really helps. I'm Ryan Donovan. I edit the blog here at Stack Overflow. It's at stackoverflow.blog. And you can uh, contact me in my DMs on X slash Twitter at rthordonovan. I'm Lucas Fiddle, founder and CEO of PG Analyze. If you want to hear more about PG Analyze, you can go to our website, or you can also go to YouTube, where I host a weekly video show called Five Minutes of Postgres, where I talk about all the interesting things that are new with Postgres. If you want to find me personally, I'm on Mastodon on the Hashidarm server as Lucas. Awesome. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening, and we will talk to you soon. <laughs>